This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's up, gang? Let's do this. Another afternoon edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily for you. And, of course, for your podcast, Drive Home. Welcome to the program. Lots to get to today. Cup final, trots watch, CFL, and a special visit from former NHL enforcer extraordinaire. And now, getting into the podcast game with our old pal Tim Stapleton. Chris Knuckles Nyland. Should be a great show of course, we'll get to last night's game as well as the upcoming week in the Canadian Football League. And uh, by the way, looking forward to having Greg Ellingson on the program tomorrow for uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk. So you Bomber fans, make sure to tune in tomorrow's show to hear uh, the Bombers leading receiver join us. He had such a great visit with Ellingson when he joined us after signing in the summer uh, we'll get a little chance to talk to him about the 2-0 Bombers, uh, what they've liked so far, what they like to, they're hoping to improve on, and of course, Friday's big game against the Hamilton Ticats out at IG Field. Uh, before we get going, a big thanks to everyone that's with us in the YouTube chat. Make sure to hit that red subscribe button, uh, and all you podcast listeners, thanks as well. If you ever have the opportunity to go on to Apple or Spotify and give us a five-star rating and a little review, certainly helps us spread the channel as well. And hey, this show doesn't happen without the great support we have from so many wonderful sponsors here in Winnipeg, including Vita Health, F Apparel, Wallace & Wallace, Aikens Lake, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Culligan Water, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, BP, Nick & Nicky DQ, Assiniboia Downs Canadian Club, and of course our betting partner over at Coolbet Canada. Speaking of Little Brown Jug, just finished the lock shop with Dustin Nielsen. Dusty's coming in to do the game for TSN on Friday night. Friday afternoon, 1 p.m., Michael Remus and I will be at Little Brown Jug on William Avenue doing our first live show, which, of course, you'll be able to catch wherever you normally get it. But if you do have Friday afternoon off, we're able to kick around, maybe getting a little bit of a late lunch, pop down and see us at Little Brown Jug Friday afternoon. Really looking forward to that. And uh, depending on how this works out, we might actually be able to crank out the lock shop live at Little Brown Jug before as well. Working on that. Pay attention to our, our Twitter feed for details on that. Uh, but let's get Michael Remus in here and get this thing going. Remo, series on. What a... Uh, that, that, that game last night was the NHL Stanley Cup playoff embodiment of the Undertaker gif. You thought that the Tampa Bay Lightning were dead, but they're far from it. And, uh, man, big win last night, and I cannot wait for game four to see whether the uh, Bolts can tie it up. Yeah, wow. I was on the series is done train. I was like, Colorado, they're too good. They're too fast. Too many good players. They pass the puck too quick. They can skate too fast. But, no, uh, Tampa Bay at home, they are they are good. So making it a series Unfortunately, it wasn't a close game. Like, pretty wild that, you know, Colorado takes game two, puts up the touchdown, and yesterday Tampa Bay comes back after giving up seven. They score six, showing you why they are the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And, yes, we have, we have a series, although we do have some, I guess, some news uh, coming out of it in terms of injuries that could affect game four. We'll wait and see, but as far as... 
the series. I thought uh, I was all over Colorado. I'm a bit of a sucker, I guess. I looked at the odds. I'm like, well, how do you not pick Colorado? They're, they're, uh, you know, they've won the first two games. It's about to pick them. I think the advantage will go to Colorado, but I was definitely wrong. Tampa Bay, they're they're back officially. Yeah, um, and, and and you know things are going right for you when Pat Maroon scores a goal like he scored last night. I mean, who was that guy wearing number fourteen? Are you kidding me? Dancing into the crease, going top shelf straight up over uh, Darcy Kemper. That was at the moment you knew that Tampa was officially back. Um, but it was interesting, and it was touch and go earlier in the earlier in the game. Remo, of course, Tampa uh, or Colorado scored the opening goal successfully challenged for offside by the Tampa Bay Lightning to get it back to zeros. And then Landeskog put them on the board and you thought, well, they got out of one. They're not going to get out of the other one. Um, and, you know, at that point, it looked like, good God. I mean, I'm sure I wasn't the only one thinking, could this one be over before it basically even started? For all the hype and all the expectations of these two great squads going at it for what we hope would be a six or a seven game series, could it be done? Um, but there's something about this Tampa team. And in a lot of ways, Remo, it reminded me of the way they gutted out game three against the New York Rangers. Let's not forget, they lost the first two games at Madison Square Garden, came back to Tampa, and were down 2 nothing midway through the game before rallying back to win that game. Now, from there, and, from there on, um, they were off to the races and won the next three games. I think it's unrealistic to expect that to happen. But let's just say that that Lightning team we saw, especially in the second and the third period, seemed like they were playing on a whole different level with a different confidence level that they had in the first two games against Denver. And um, I, listen, I think that Colorado still feels very confident, um, but they have to be somewhat leery about letting this team back into the series the way they did last night. Yeah, and the one thing... Uh to Vasilevsky, we've talked about him and, you know, elimination games and bounce back games. Uh, his play absolutely massive yesterday, 37 saves on 39 shots on goal. You know, you look at some of those goals in game two, those aren't Vasilevsky goals, like the Darren Helm going in, well, shooting. Well, the same thing with first period in game number yeah. one. Like, I mean, that was what was so strange about the, the Vasilevsky. Like, there's just like shots from like Darren Helm from distance. Josh Manson from distance. These aren't, it's not Nathan McKinnon. Now, Makar, maybe you can give him a break there, but it's just like weird that they just like walk in and just like snipe. Like you don't think that's going to happen uh, over and over again. And uh, and how about Tampa's skill on the, what the Andre Palat, Steven Stamkos given goal. Man, there's some <laughs> highlight, uh, you know, Kucherov wasn't even in on that one. There's some highlight, highlight real goals. In this playoffs, and that was just beauty. Two guys who've played together for a long time, knowing where they're gonna go. You know, crisscrossing. If you're on the podcast, or I'm, you know, crisscrossing on with my fingers there, and the, on the zone entry, it's just beautiful. So, and as well, you know, Nick Paul banged up, can barely stand. Bangs went in the back then. I don't know if we have a goalie controversy now in Colorado. I would think you go back with Kemper, but. You know, they didn't really test him much in the first two, and they certainly tested him last night, and uh, he failed the test, right? Yeah, well, listen, there's been there's been a number of tests so far. The ultimate test is to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning four times in a seven-game series, and no one's been able to do it for three years in the National Hockey League, and we'll see whether t Colorado is going to be the team to uh, to end it. 
Um, that being said, the Lightning did do it without Braden Point, and there is some concern about Nikita Kucherov after his he was taken into the boards by Devin Taves in an awkward fall. Now, you know, like normal at playoff time, we're not getting a lot of information on the availability of these players, but we do know, Remus, that Devon Taves will be available because uh, there will be no supplemental discipline from the National Hockey League. Yeah, I saw the hit. I watched it over and over. I mean, that happens all the time. I didn't think it was anything that required. It was just a regular cross check. Now he fell awkwardly. Did I think Devon Taves was like, yeah, I'm going to cross check him in the hip and going to make him his knee hyper extend and fall awkwardly? I don't think so. Um, you know, there was, there's been a conspiracy theory that Kucherov did cross check Taves at center ice prior to that play, but for whatever reason, the replay cameras didn't seem to catch that one. Um, Kucherov also did run, it was a Manson from behind into the board. That was, I thought was, was worse. I thought the Taves was just like a nudge, but if you nudge a guy when he's kind of on an angle, you know, it's just that much easier to to put him on his ass. and. Unfortunately for Kucherov, his knee did bend. And what did they say? Questionable? I'm sorry, uncertain for a game four? We'll see. I think I think he's yeah. going to play. Uncertain because they're not saying anything. And listen, he could be out for the series. They still wouldn't tell us right now. Yeah. So, I mean, buyer beware, I guess, uh, when, when it comes to it. That being said, uh, when it became the third player, or joined some very lofty company to have 25 points in the playoffs in three consecutive years. And uh, overall... Just exactly what I think hockey needed as much as I know there's a lot of people that are, you know, on the avalanche or maybe had some futures earlier on or just their abs fans. Um, these teams are too good to be done this early. So, um, you know what? From my perspective, let's get Tampa another win at home and uh, turn this into a best of three starting game five in Denver coming up later on this week. We'll talk a little more cup final. We'll get Chris Nyland's thoughts on the game last night, as well as the game today. And Scott Billick's going to pop on. Obviously we'll get to Barry Trotz watch and the latest with the Winnipeg jets. Um, we'll certainly get his thoughts on what is happening in the Stanley cup final. And I think we'll also talk Remo about the other big story that was sort of just getting underway as we were finishing the show yesterday but Hockey Canada representatives being called to the House of Commons to um, speak to our elected representatives on this three-plus million dollar payout to a victim of what is alleged to be a sexual assault involving up to eight players from the 2017-18 World, uh, World Junior Team after a Hockey Canada event. And I think anyone that was paying attention to social media yesterday or the news would have seen that um, there's huge questions about Hockey Canada, the people running it, how this was handled, and the fact that a number of, well, all of the players that were technically involved in this were not required. They were just strongly recommended to cooperate with this investigation. And... Um, Listen, there's been all sorts of talk about hockey culture and some of the things that have happened behind the scenes that I think would shock people that have been never been a part of the game. Um, but to have this sort of thing happening right now, at this point, with all of the training and the safe sport programs that have been put in, to have what certainly seems from my perspective, basically zero accountability whatsoever of the players that were involved in, 
Uh, and I realize that this is a very touchy subject because if the victim does not want to come forward and does not want to name them people, um, you know, which is, of course, of her right. Um, and it's important for some to be able to move on with their lives. It does create a very tricky legal, uh, legal situation. But I can tell you, as someone, um, you know, that, that loves the game that's worked for Hockey Canada before, albeit on the women's side of things, um, it was a terrible look right now. And to be honest, I think it's created more questions than answers coming out of what happened yesterday and how this proceeds. Yeah, you're reading the details of this and definitely concerning that, that they didn't force people to participate in the investigation. And also that what there was eight John Doe's, they couldn't identify any of the players. How are you doing an investigation if you don't know who the players are? And then also that players maybe were able to participate um, you know, in Hockey Canada events after being involved in the sexual assault. So nothing um, came up about yeah. any repercussions about yeah. any of these players right now whatsoever. I mean, listen, I don't know how you can look at this and not think that this was, I mean, maybe a cover up is a, is a, is a strong word. So I'll, I'll hedge it a little bit, but um, certainly like if I'd heard about this in another sport, like say there was a judo event or I don't know, a tennis tournament or a tennis gala event. And there was allegations that the organization found out the next day of that eight individuals were involved in a sexual assault of, uh, of a female and things weren't, that wasn't immediately brought to the police and all those things. We'd be saying that this is ridiculous how this can happen with Hockey Canada and the fact that they were able to just cut a check to try to make it go away. Um, you know, it, as I said, it creates more questions um, now than I think people had beforehand, assuming that things were in the right hands going forward. And I'll be honest, some of the answers, particularly from CEO Tom Rennie, were embarrassing at times. I mean, Think about how much Hockey Canada prepares to go to the World Junior Hockey Championships. It sounded like there was like 5% of that preparation to meet the House of Commons yesterday by people all the way up. And listen, I know Tom Guarini is already the outgoing um, CEO, so maybe the timing is good for that. Uh, I know Scott Smith, uh, the uh, who has some very tough uh, questions to answer. But bigger picture than this, um, to prevent this from happening again. And now... You know, unfortunately for a lot of guys that had nothing to do with it, that were not there, that were are completely innocent, because of the way that this has ha been handled, you now have a relatively significant dark cloud over every young man that was a member of that roster. Um, as there's eight John Doe's, well, there's 20, 23, 24 players on that team, and everyone will always have a little bit of an air of suspicion around them. Now, Kale McCarr was on that team. Kale McCarr, from my understanding, is the one player, I know Ken Campbell, I believe, formerly of the Hockey News, reached out to agents of these players to let them know, ask if they were involved, they cooperated, and there was a complete denial from McCarr's agents. So take that for what it's worth, not involved in it. Um, but man, I mean, you know, when you handle things like this, it creates more cloud of distrust and the fact of the matter is the other thing that Scott Smith mentioned is that Hockey Canada is dealing with one to two sexual assault allegations per year over the course of the last five or six years, I think also indicates that um, uh, way more work needs to be done 
within the game, off the ice to prevent this sort of thing from happening and then treat things seriously and to the fullest extent of punishment that you would expect anywhere else in society when these sort of things come up. Yeah, again, it just seems like they paid the, you know, the settlement to go away. No one suffered any repercussions and you know, Hockey Canada does get federal funding and it's just crazy to think that, you know, you read the case and with, you know, however many, you know, eight players involved, um, pretty gross. And we've talked a lot about, you know, hockey culture and, and we just went through it from a different perspective with the Blackhawks situation. And here it is again. And I saw there was a great article in the athletic, um, with, uh, Ian Mendez and Katie Strang talking about, uh, you know, hockey culture and, I mean, I don't know what what you do, Hus, but it seems like no one really took uh, accountability for this, and they kind of just tried to sweep it under the rug. Well, I, I mean, as far as investigation goes, I mean, it's essentially it's alleged that they went and cut a check for three million bucks, not knowing all of the players in it. Now, why would you do that? Imagine an organization where you know somebody ran up the flagpole. Yeah, you listen. There was a sexual assault, and there's a lawsuit that's going to come. We can settle for this much. Who is involved? Well, we don't really know. And just doing it and moving forward that way? Um, anyways, I, I have... There's way more that's going to come through this, and, and I won't do it justice. So if you could, check out Rick Westhead's reporting. You just mentioned, Remo, that uh, that piece in The Athletic with Katie Strang, who has been all over this as well. Uh, but there's a lot of things about this that just do not seem right. And I think... Another real worry, and I sort of mentioned to that cloud over all of those players from that team. I mean, there is a real worry that a number of these people that were allegedly involved in this um, have had absolutely no repercussions, didn't cooperate with the investigation, have been able to represent Hockey Canada uh, at other events post this. It you know it certainly is possible, um, as well as you know potentially being involved in what many refer to as like a gang rape playing in the National Hockey League with no repercussions whatsoever. So um, that's not going to cut it in 2022. It shouldn't cut it at any point, at any time. Um, but the legal ramifications of this, and I think what is really kind of maybe sticking with a number of our elected leaders is the fact that this was part of the deal included an, an NDA. So and no disclosure agreement. So even if later on, in life, the woman wants to, you know, name one of or all of the people that she'd had. Part of the agreement is that, you know, she's not able to do that. And that doesn't sit well with a lot of people uh, going forward. This game's had a lot of issues off the ice for a long time. And you mentioned it, Remo, we've heard about this hockey culture. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're doing their best to root it out and get on the right track, especially when you hear uh, what we heard yesterday. And listen, Here's Kevin Waugh, uh, who is an MP from Saskatoon, Grasswood, and is a member of the Standing Committee on Cana Canadian Heritage. He scolded Hockey Canada officials for not demanding that all CHL players who attended the golf tournament be questioned about the uh, allegations. And this is the quote from him. Does it not resonate with you that these eight players could be coaching five years down the road? You own that. It is unacceptable. And... Um, as I said, I mean, this is this is not going away anytime soon. I was quite interested as to how it was going to be uh, covered in the media. 
Um, you know, you had to wait a while last night on CBC of all places to actually get to it. Rick Westhead was there on CTV. Um, I watched quite a bit of Sports Center and did not see a big report on it. Now I'm sure I just missed that because Rick has been so influential on this. But that's sort of the guy we're seeing it. It to be honest, it reminds me a lot of the Chicago Blackhawks scandal, Reem, when you know Rick Westhead was there doing all the heavy lifting and the hard work, and most of the people that we normally turn to for our hockey information had absolutely nothing to say. Yeah, Rick's done a great job. Uh, Katie String, Dan Robson of The Athletic, they're all reporting on it. So I was definitely glued to this. And I think the saddest part about it is you hear a story like this, and I don't think anyone is really surprised um, by any of this. It's uh, There's a lot that's very, very, very sad. So uh, we'll wait and see what happens. But you'd like to see some accountability for sure, and definitely wasn't there in this case. Well, legitimate, legitimate investigations. And and I mean, this all came uh, out of, people found out about this uh, settlement that was given from Hockey Canada. And of course, Hockey Canada gets a lot of government money. They got a $3. million subsidy during COVID right now. Well, they just cut a check for over $3 million for this incident right now. And the thought was, where's the money coming from? Listen, I don't care where the money, really where the money is coming from. Hockey Canada has been a money machine for a long time and has really turned into a business. Um, ask anyone that's seen what's happened with the World Juniors after Winnipeg did such a great job hosting it in 1999. And then essentially for the next 15, 20 years, the only way you could have it was, you know, to be in an NHL-sized building. Um, make no mistake about it. This has been a business, a business, and, and you know, that's focused on winning. Um, you know, there are other parts of the game, you know, focused on growing the game and, getting more people into it, but um, it's very different than most other sporting organizations in and in, in around Canada. Um, but we'll have a guest on that at some point soon, but I figured it was important to talk about that right off the program and off the top of the program, and we'll certainly get Billick's thoughts on it a little bit later on when he joins the show. Um, oh, one thing I should mention tonight, and for everyone that uh, you know was with us live or maybe listening to it after work, not sure whether you're uh, heading out to the Rady dinner, but uh, exciting night tonight, Remo. We'll be both be there. I'm going to be hooking up with Matt Liable to uh, do a little Q&A with the special guest of honor, none other than the NFL's all-time leading rusher, Emmett Smith. Uh, Rady dinner, always such a big event. It's been two years since, uh, two years that it hasn't been able to happen. I'm really looking forward to getting back together and uh, seeing so many folks in an environment that we really haven't had for the better part of over two years. Yeah, rushing leader Emmett Smith, Super Bowl champion Emmett Smith, and how could we forget winner of season three of Dancing with the Stars, Emmett Smith in Winnipeg. And we've had some great guests come through at the dinner the last couple of years: uh, Drew Brees, Magic Johnson, A. Rod, and just another legend uh, here in Winnipeg. I'm looking forward to seeing you and Matt Libel interview tonight. We'll be looking pretty sharp in our F apparel suits. Nice to put them on. Events are back, us. Events definitely are back. Actually, I guess that's a perfect segue as we get to a Chris uh, Chris Nyland uh, to plug our friends over at F Apparel. I'll tell you what, there'll be a lot of F Apparel suits at this event tonight. Um, every guy needs at least one that fits and looks great. And if you are thinking about needing one, before you do anything, pop down and talk to the guys about a custom suit beginning, uh, starting at just four hundred dollars. Um, they've got it all. They've also got perfect shirts, ties, golf shirts, shoes, and more. 
Uh, but certainly when it comes down to it, the bread and butter of the business and how they've grown so much is the custom suits with uh, all the summer fabrics, flannels, and more, as well as patterns you can get. And uh, maybe the next one I'll get, I'll get WST on the inside. That's another really cool feature. Find out more, 190 Smith Street, downtown, F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. Uh, Vita Health Fresh Market, great sponsors of ours. Of course, you know, they've got great prices on Winnipeg's best selection of natural organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. They've also got a great event for you and the family coming up on Saturday. We're going to try and pop by, hang out for a bit. 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturday, Vita Health is hosting their block party and barbecue over at the new Linden Ridge location at 1751 Keniston. Bring the whole family, face painting, games, product samples, free lunch. It certainly will be the place to be. That's Saturday, June 25th, this coming Saturday, 11 to 1 a.m. at the Linden Ridge location at 751 Keniston. And hey, if you can't make it into the store normally, visit their brand new fully shoppable website at myvita.ca to schedule a delivery or in-store pickup. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Now with seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge and online at myvita.ca. Wallace & Wallace is Winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialist. Got you covered for whatever you need. If you need a new fence, vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they've got Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors. Whatever your need is, give them a buzz at 452-2700. Ben, Charles, Mark, and the rest of the gang at Wallace to arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. And you can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop in their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston Boulevard. And my God... The fish are coming out of Aikens Lake at record pace right now. Saw Pitt Turin. Follow him on Twitter at Aikens Lake. Fire out a note yesterday that three separate couples all hit the Century Club yesterday, which is four walleye totaling 100 inches in one single day, and they all got it done. Sounds like the fishing is really good at Aikens. If you're thinking about a world-class trip in the province of manitoba where you can be on the water in less than two hours find out more about aikens lake availabilities very limited availabilities this year uh, and get planning for next year at akenslake.com all right scott billet coming up a little later on we'll also chop it up with john hodge talk a little cfl heading into week three but right now let's welcome into the program longtime nhler and one of the newest uh, guys in the podcast game, along with our buddy Tim Stapleton, former Hab legend Chris Knuckles Nylon, right now on WST. Knuckles, what is up? It's great to have you on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. Not a whole lot, just trying to enjoy January here in um, Montreal. It's freezing. You know? Hey, did uh, big weekend last week in, uh, in Montreal, the uh, F1. I know you kind of mentioned that the weather didn't entirely cooperate heading up. Uh, did you take uh, that in at all? It sounds like just oh, a wild international day. event. Race day was just awesome. It's been two years since I've been here because of the pandemic, right? They, you know, certainly had this whole place shut down. Uh, nothing was going on. And uh, the F1 came back. And listen, was I a big fan of F1 before? No, I've been to one race back in, yeah, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago. I went to one Formula One race. Now, I kind of didn't pay attention a whole lot. I kind of knew the characters and everything. Then I watched Netflix, Drive to Survive. And I never understood 
Formula One. And when I saw Drive to Survive, understand how the team works, the point systems, um, the pits, uh, everything that goes on to get those race cars ready and those drivers, what they do uh, uh, is incredible. I really, I got hooked on it. And I'm like, man, I, I really got into this sport. Now, that being said, I was fortunate enough to get a couple of tickets. And my girlfriend from Hawaii came here, knew nothing about hockey. Now she knows hockey. Knew nothing about Formula One. And I said, listen, I got a couple of tickets. I want you to go with me. She said, why don't you take one of your guy friends? You know, I, I'm not crazy about it. I took her. Now she's like out of her mind. Now she wants to watch. She wants to watch the Netflix series, uh, Drive to Survive. So, yeah, it was awesome. A great day. We're in the front row right on the hairpin uh, turn where they come out of the turn and they really get going. I was kind of at the end. So it's kind of cool. You see them slow down, go from whatever, 200 miles an hour to nothing. Then they take off again. It was, it's cool. Yeah, so F1 was awesome. Um, I'm a fan. You mentioned, you know, the drive to survive and, you know, just from someone that's been in the sports world for a long time, it has been incredible to see how Formula One interest has, I mean, exponentially increased since the pandemic started. And in some ways it was sort of a perfect storm. This show was ready to go and everyone had nothing to do and they were watching it. Yeah. But could hockey ever, I mean, you know how closed dressing rooms are and the culture of hockey is, could, could the National Hockey League ever benefit from something like f1 has done and take it to another level or is the culture of it the way things are within the team and keeping things in the room does it sort of prevent the real benefits that yeah. we're seeing from formula one i think so and i say that because formula one okay you have one driver now you have that whole team and then drive to survive you got to see the players uh, the drivers interact here and there and you know they knew this was something that was going to help their sport, especially over here in North America. Um, now, uh, you know, as far as the other people who spoke with some of the, the guys who ran the teams, right, the bosses, and you, you got to look into how they build the car, what happens in the offseason. It, it was really done well. Now, hockey, you know, you got a team. Now, you, you're going to do that, and you get 20 guys. You say, listen, we got to get you to buy into this because we really got to promote our sport. Honestly, um, a lot of cliche when it comes to interviews in, in, in hockey. Um, some guys are willing to risk and, you know, really be themselves to some extent. And a lot of guys aren't. They're very guarded. Um, kind of, some guys are just boring. Some guys are over the top. Some guys in between. I, I, you know, we saw the, 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 the Maple Leaf thing they did there. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I, you know, it was interesting, but I don't. Know, it didn't capture me like, I guess, um, the drive to survive did. Yeah, I have a feeling most of the real good stuff didn't uh, didn't make the final cut. Yeah. If you know what yeah. I mean, is everything has For to go. Sure. Chris Nyland's with us. Listen, we want to talk about the new Raw Knuckles podcast, but um, of course, we had a game in the Stanley Cup final. Lightning get off the mat last night and get back in. And oh, what are you made of this series so far? How good Colorado looked, as well as taking that early lead last night, and then the champs uh, pulling the Undertaker and reminding everyone that they are not done yet. Yeah, you know, it did not look good losing that second game, seven nothing. First one they were competitive, right, and they end up losing. 
And then game two, they get smoked, and it's like, what the hell? And okay, they're down two zip. Again, Yeah, it's the first to win four games, not two games. So uh, they go home, Tampa Bay, uh, they got a spark from uh, their fan base, and they, they tighten things up. That's a tough hockey team to play against. You know, they really um, – their defensemen really uh, get involved in the offense. Uh, they they take a lot of risk when it comes to pinching and 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 trying to keep pucks alive in the offensive zone. Uh, they they not only the defensemen sometimes lead the rush, but they're really good at supporting the rush and recognizing when to jump into the play and 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 add to that offense. So they're a dangerous dangerous team. And Tampa certainly tightened up. Um, Vasilevsky, uh, certainly, you know, he, he played a lot better than game two, no question, but the whole team in front of him played better too. So, you know, we'll see what happens here. Game four, uh, I would suspect that Tampa's going to come out and really, you know, realize our boys, um, you know, we cannot, you know, open up against this team. We can't afford to give them the opportunities we did in games one and two. Uh, we got to do that same play that same type of game here in, in game four and try and even this thing up because it's going to be difficult going back into Colorado for sure for them. So, um, yeah, I had picked Tampa. Uh, you know, I just wasn't too sure about the goaltending situation with with Colorado. Uh, and, you know, last night, you know, we saw it. We saw it last night. They didn't play well in front of him, but uh, Vasilevsky, man, uh, he, he's a, you know, one of the best, one of the best goaltenders ever. There's no question. He's up in that conversation. And, well, and especially when you think about what he's done after losses, that made yeah, Saturday's blowout that much more shocking. Yeah. Uh, but you knew that they were going to punch back. Uh, Knuckles, I want to ask you about where the game is at right now because, I mean, listen, these playoffs have been really exciting. There's been incredible hockey, but the game is significantly different than it was when you played. I mean, we think about the the physicality, and everyone knows you're one of the toughest dudes ever to play in that league. Mm. Uh, and I look at the way these two teams are, are, are set up. I mean, Colorado really doesn't have very much of that. They're faster than everyone. They're probably more skilled than everyone. Tampa is maybe a bit more of a well-rounded team, and they have used that physicality and at time, the toughness, uh, maybe more so than other playoff teams. What do you make of where the game is right now and, and the role of tougher players that Tampa seems to have that maybe Colorado doesn't quite as much, and, and how impactful can that be in a series like this? That can be. You know, when if, you know, tough in the playoffs is going in the corners, hanging on to the puck, taking a hit to make a play, getting to the net, you know, driving on them DIY, you know, and it's not like it used to be. You know, people used to always say, oh, the tough guys, tough guys. This. Matt Naslin was tough. You know, he used to challenge guys on the outside. Back in the day, when you went around a guy, you're getting a two-hand across the arms, and chances are the guy who's doing it isn't going to get penalized. So, you know, tough isn't always about fighting. So, it, listen, at, at this point in the playoffs, Stanley Cup final, you're not going to see that. Um, the 86 when we won the cup, I fought a couple times in the uh, the final. Yeah, you know, I end up hurting my ankle in one of those fights, but you know, you, you just don't see it anymore. The game has changed. Um, you know, I like what Bobby Orr says. You know, if, if if the commissioner and this people who run this game uh, at the top really were concerned about health of the players, that they put the red line back in. And he said, I'd like to see that one. It would 
it, it would help the players health wise concussions, some of those violent hits. And, and I would love to see teams pass their way up the ice and come up the ice together, have to pass their way out of trouble. And, and that's coming from a guy who, you know, could skate through the whole other team, but certainly understood how the game is played, the beauty of the game, when you pass, that give and go, that speed, that playing together. A lot of times today, and I'm not, again, it's not I'm disparaging the game in any way or the players. Just often we see, especially 82-game season, the puck, you know, guys up at the by the red line, far blue line, they fire the puck up, they tip it in, they chase. Now, when they don't do that, there's times we get to see them come up the ice together, move the puck through the neutral zone, a couple passes, and attack the offensive zone. It's awesome. But, you know, some of it, you know, this has its drawbacks, uh, like our game did in our day. It had its drawbacks. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it has changed. I had a coach, Claude Ruel, Opitone, he used to tell me, Yankee boy, the game don't change. Well, I guess the, the object of the game is to put the puck in the opposing teams. That, that hasn't changed, but a lot of other things have. Uh, Chris Nyland with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Speaking of changes, I mean, what a insane turnaround for the Habs and the team that you cover most closely. I mean, last year in the Stanley Cup final, this year picking number one overall. Um, what's the buzz like in Montreal now that the team's won the lottery? Um, you know, you've moved on from, well, the Shea Weber trade as well was made. It does seem like, you know, they're going in a new direction. Obviously, Mark Vergeman gone on. Uh, would you say that there's optimism around the Habs despite what a disappointing season they just went through? No, there's an excitement around this team. There's no question um, with some of the young talent they have and Caulfield's breakthrough after, you know, the coach gets fired, St. Louis comes in, and all of a sudden we see the Cole Caulfield that everybody was expecting, um, you know, the regular season that we didn't see. Uh, Suzuki has kind of emerged here Um as a well-rounded player, uh, offensive player too. He's good in his, his own end of the rink also. Um, but I, honestly, uh, he's going to need help. Now, that being said, <laughs> go figure the Habs. And, and no disrespect to this kid Shane Wright and Cooley and the other guy over there. Um, but say Shane Wright is, uh, you know, overall consensus number one pick. Hard, you know, Solid player, work his butt off, puts the you know puts points up. Um, is he going to be able to do that at the NHL level? Now, is there a question mark there? There always is with players. Austin Matthews, I don't think there was. Um, um, you know, we look at uh, McDavid, no question mark. He's going to do it. Um, but this kid, there seems to be some question marks and. You know, go figure. The Habs finally get that first overall pick, and it's one of those years where there isn't that pick that you're going to say, this guy is going to change the franchise, kind of like a Austin Matt. Uh, Austin the fans Matthews. will expect it, though, Knuckles. The fans will certainly expect it. I mean, talk to us. If you could, I yeah. mean, what sort of pressure is going to be on a young kid like that that gets selected number one overall by the yeah. Montreal Canadiens, coming back in as part of a rebuild, and – Fair or unfair will be thought of as the cornerstone of a rebuild to get this team yeah. back to back to respectability. And let's face it, one thing you can say about fans in general in 2022, 
patience is maybe not uh, the the be- the biggest virtue of uh, of fans right now, especially in a place like Montreal. Yeah, well, I'll liken it uh, to, and, and there's a major difference in this one, but I'll liken it to Doug Wickenheiser back uh, when they picked first overall in 1980. <clears throat> the, the, the whole deal there was the scouts here at the time thought they were going to get the next Jean Beliveau, big, tall, rangy uh, center iceman who could, who could make plays and score at will. And uh, Doug came in here, and uh, the majority of the fan base wanted Denny Savard, the good chain who. Uh, they wanted Denny Savard. And then we know what happened. Wick comes in here. He struggled somewhat. There was a lot of heat on him. There was a lot of negative press uh, from – um, not just the French media, but the English media as well. Uh, and he had a tough time to deal with it. I, I Believe me, I was there for all of that with this kid. I was a good friend of Doug. Um, I mean, we went to dinner, uh, the two of us, like almost every night. We'd go out, have dinner every other night. We were always together. And boy, he struggled and had a tough time. I felt so bad for this kid. Um, you know, and he ended up going to St. Louis and and I was happy for him because for him, you know, it was an opportunity for him to finally go and, um, you know, be relieved of the constant media pressure that uh, he was under here in Montreal, the fan base, you know, when they'd see him on the street. So, yeah, this kid, he's, he's going to have all of that uh, for sure, minus the, oh, we should have drafted the French guy pot, but it's still a lot of pressure on a young kid and we're going to see how he's, he's going to be able to deal with it. Speaking of the draft, I have to ask you, lucky DB you're drafted in 78 in the 19th round. Um, the draft is yeah. so different right now. What, what do you remember about being drafted? Were you even aware that, you know, you were on the radar right now? Were you expecting it? How did you find out? What was draft day like for you back then? Draft day was uh, me in a college bar drinking and somebody coming up and telling me, you've been drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's, that was draft day for me. And, you know, lo and behold, I found out later. And now I always said, you know what, I'm going to get drafted. I was kind of cocky about it. And my, my, my dad said, the only time you're going to get drafted is we have another war. And, um, <laughs> you know, my, my Uncle Ed said, you want a draft? He said, go over there and open the window. You'll get a draft. So I'm like. Okay, and draft day came, and, um, you know, someone come up to me, like I said, at the Caskin Flag in College Bar, and they say, hey, listen, congratulations on that what? And he said, you're drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, no way. Anyway, years later, I find out. And, listen, I became friends with Dickie Moore when I was here. I knew he was a friend of a friend of mine. And the friend of mine was a coach. His name was Judge Paul King. The judge in uh, Boston, arthritic, he was all hunched over. But the judge sit in that court all day and come down and coach us at night playing hockey. He had eight kids, and the judge um, saw something in me that nobody else uh, saw in me. One, <clears throat> two, he saw something in me that I, I guess, I didn't see for myself until uh, the latter years. But he ended up. Uh, becoming very good friends with Dickie Moore and Doug Harvey. Uh, he met them one night in a bar in Boston, 
after Bruins Canadians game, and Dickie started. Um, you know, he introduced himself. He was a lawyer at the time, and Dickie started to pick his brain about contracts and negotiations, stuff like that, and starting his business. <clears throat> and they became fast friends. So when I went off to prep school for a year, then I came played at Northeastern. When I was at Northeastern, the judge, and I didn't know this at the time, I'm playing for Fernie Flamin, former Boston Bruin, uh, who coached at Northeastern at the time, who was also a friend of Judge King's. J this Judge King, when you talk about n not knowing, and at the time, this guy being such a mentor for me in my life, it's an incredible story. And he helped me get into Northeastern with Fernie. And then when I was at Northeastern, Doug Harvey was a scout for the Montreal Canadiens at the time, and Dickey was in business. The judge went to uh, Dickey and said, listen, can you do me a favor and ask uh, Sam Pollock if he'll do you a favor and just draft this kid from Boston who I absolutely love and, and admire him as a, as a player and as a person um, I'd love for the Canadians to draft him with one of their late picks. And Dickey went in and asked Sam Pollock and, um, and Doug also, the both of them. And um, lo and behold, draft day comes and I was drafted. Now, I found out years later that, and I found out at Judge King's funeral because Dickey Moore drove down from Montreal to Boston, was at the funeral, and we went out afterwards and um, had lunch. And he told me everything the judge said. The judge came to me and asked me if I could get the Canadians to draft you. He said to me, he said, listen, draft Chris Nyland. Just get the Canadians to draft Chris Nyland, and he'll do the rest. That's you what the judge told him. And it's incredible. Incredible story. And I was I was friendly with Dickie. I actually spoke at his funeral. Uh, God, God love him. He, he was an awesome guy and big supporter of mine. Well... Uh, the judge did the Habs a solid because uh, we know what a big part <laughs> right? of that organization you were for for so long. Chris Knuckles Nyland is with us. Knuckles, you've uh, got into the digital world. Of course, fans for many years loved your content on TSN 690 in Montreal. Uh, now moving into digital and hooking up with a favorite of ours, former Winnipeg Jet Tim Stapleton with the Raw Knuckles podcast. Before we talk about what you guys are doing Tell us about coming up, uh, you know, starting the pod and how you hooked up with uh, with Tim. Well, Tim and I met uh, through some friends and um, I got to know him a little bit. And, you know, I found him humorous. I, I saw him also on the Spitting Chicklets podcast. Legendary, legendary episode. Yeah, which I was on after him. And we ended up talking and... Uh, I, you know, I sat with a little bit. I said, do I want to do this by myself, this podcast? Or do I want to maybe get somebody else involved? And I liked him. Uh, good guy, funny guy, has a great personality. I said, you know what? I'm going to see if he wants to do it. And I approached him about it. And, you know, he was shocked that I would consider him. And I found that to be funny. And uh, we talked, got to know each other a little, little bit. Uh, my friend who... Uh, and partner in this who produces the podcast is from Pittsburgh and he has a production company down there uh, that he produced a lot of documentaries and different stuff like that. And um, 
I he flew Tim and I both down into Pittsburgh, and we did some um, episodes down there at the at the production company, and uh, we got to know each other a little better. We you know spent a couple nights together and uh, went to dinner, and it was good to meet him one on one instead of just on Zoom, and and we got to know each other a little better, and ever since, little by little, we're We've got more comfortable with each other, and um, things are working working great. We're having a lot of fun doing it. Did he bring you any of his uh, South African beef jerky? Oh God, uh, did he ever? <laughs> the the what is it? The bit bit long or bit? Yeah, bit, bit long. I think I think that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> what like is that. bit long? I, I jerky's jerky, but yeah, it's very good actually. Uh, he sent me a bunch, and the problem with Tim sending me that. Um, is he put the instead of putting like you know it's worth 20 bucks i i think he put the real price on there and it cost me cost me like a hundred bucks in duty (laughs) i could have went out and bought it yeah hilarious but no uh it's awesome Um, so what's uh boyke (laughs) boyke you guys are uh you know obviously from maybe different eras but uh you know both played uh, in the national hockey league you with the you know legendary career with the with the habs uh what's the focus of the pod are you talking about more current hockey stuff or are you kind of digging into more of the fun stories that uh, many of your careers and many of your guests have had and can bring to your listeners. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of getting into a little more personal stuff. I want to get into what makes people tick and you know, how they got to that level. Um, maybe uh, a little more on the personal side. Um, we had a wonderful, uh, um, we taped a wonderful episode with uh, Bob Probert's wife, Danny which was just incredible, emotional. Um, you know, listen, Spitting Chicklets is the number one podcast, no doubt about it. Those guys are awesome. They got a great thing going on. They're funny. Um, you know, sometimes it's like the locker room in there, and that's great. They, I, I, kudos to them, the rear admiral, Whitney, and, and, and Biz. Uh, they're really good at what they do. Um, I'm not looking to be them. Um, they have a great uh, formula for what they do. I, I'm just trying to be myself along with Tim and I want to, you know, I'd like to expand it someday and, you know, not just not say get away from hockey, but talk about real life, real issues. It, 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 you know, there's so much more out there. I love talking sports, but I like talking real world events too and what's going on in the world. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, we're we're still finding ourselves as far as the podcast, and we're we're getting better, and uh, we're gonna just enjoy it as as we go. Knuckles, just before we go, you you mentioned Boston, and I want to finish it off with this. What was it like being a Massachusetts dude with the accent, American, coming up and playing and starring for the Montreal Canadiens, the arch rival of the Boston Bruins? You know, just other than everybody in Boston hated me because I was playing with the Canadians. Um, I was accepted up here rather quickly, if you will, um, because of the way I played the game, how loyal I was to the organization, the fan base, um, the things I did away from the rink that I, I guess endeared me to some of the fan base here and my teammates. Um, listen, when you do that job in hockey, I think a lot of people uh, appreciate you. And uh, I felt that. I felt that, you know, by my teammates and and certainly the fan base and um yeah it was a wonderful place to play i never wanted to play for a- another 
team. I, I don't know how the guys do it um, when they get traded left and right. And I, I just, I'm, I'm an extremely loyal person, and they gave me my opportunity. And I just, I never wanted to play for another team. I played for the Rangers, played for the Bruins. It, it wasn't the same, quite frankly, for me. I, I was stuck uh, with the big CH emblazoned on my chest, and um, I just, yeah, I had a tough time uh, when I left there. Well, this was uh, such a fun conversation, Knuckles. Um, the podcast is Raw Knuckles, Chris Nyland, our old buddy Tim Stapleton. Make sure you say hi to Tim for us. I will. Look forward to it. Wishing you guys all the success in the world. And uh, let's do this again sometime. Enjoy the rest of the final and have a great summer, Chris. Anytime. Thanks so much, Andrew. And again, Raw Knuckles, check it out. Subscribe, follow, and like if you do. All right, good stuff with Knuckles Nyland. Thanks again to our buddy Mo Khan over at uh, TSN 690 who uh, hooked us up with Knuckles. Off we'll to check that out, especially knowing that Tim Stapleton is uh, his uh, riding partner on that. Um, all right, we uh, got Scott Billick coming up in just a second. We'll get to the latest on the Winnipeg Jets Cup final, what we talked about earlier with the Hockey Canada. Uh, of course, do want to thank our friends at Culligan Water for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. 65 years in the biz as the go-to people for water services in Winnipeg and Manitoba. They've got you covered no matter what you need. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services, not to mention commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Whether it's for your home, your cottage, or your office, Culligan can take care of you. Give them a buzz at uh, 694-5180. Visit them at 1200 Sergeant Avenue or check them out online at drinkculligan.com. Donnie and the gang at Manitoba Battery are ready for summer. I guess today is the official first day of summer and the longest day of the year. Uh, if you want to make the most of your weekends and not worry about having to pop in and pick things up after work on the weekend, you can do it now with their extended summer hours up until 8 p.m. Monday through Friday. Of course, Manitoba Battery is the biggest selection of batteries for everything and anything that you could possibly need, especially in the summer. Golf cart, working on a hot rod. Uh, maybe you've got something that needs a battery on the water, like a boat or a sea-do. They've got you covered. And bottom line is you're going to save a lot of time and money as opposed to going to the big box stores with the best prices in town. 783-8787. Give them a call. The experts there will get exactly what you need and can be ready for a quick and easy pickup. You can order online or check them out online at manitobabattery.com or pop down and see them at 1026 Logan Avenue. Uh, of course, Bombers back in action. It's the whiteout game. You might normally go in your blue gear to the games, which I think most people do. Thinking about maybe adding some white bomber gear? Well, why don't you pop down and see the gang at Royal Sports, the merchandise HQ for literally anything and everything here in the city of Winnipeg. We've got those new bomber jerseys. Uh, you might want to wait a game or two when it's not the whiteout game to wear it, uh, but the bombers will be wearing white. They've got it all there, not to mention Jets merch, National Hockey League, uh, NBA. I'm sure the Golden State Warriors uh, championship gear will be coming in quite soon. NFL and more, international soccer and expanded soccer department for the players, softball, baseball, tennis, expanded disc golf, and of course, a great selection of bikes as well. It's all there at Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway. Follow them on Insta at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drop sales and especially tent sale information. And uh, 
our friends at Not Auto Corp are uh, they're ready for the game on uh, Friday. Of course, big supporters of the Bombers. They'll be out in the tailgate zone beforehand. And uh, bottom line is, if you're thinking about getting a ride, why not be like Bomber Great Milt Stiegel and get into a Not Auto Corp? Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team and talk to them about the Tesla experience and all the Teslas on the lot if you're thinking about going electric? Waverly and McGilvery are online at not.ca. All right, let's talk some puck. Lots happening in around the Winnipeg Jets offseason. Cup final got a little interesting last night. <laughs> and a uh, pretty ugly day for uh, people involved in the game out in Ottawa. Scott Billick of the Winnipeg Sun joins us now. What's up, Scotty? How are you? It's the real Scott Billick. Do yes. I, should I stand up? Or? Yeah, well, yeah. you know what? Let's let's <laughs> The real Scott Billick will stand up, will appear. For those of you that uh, saw a... <laughs> chatter named scott billick dropped some pretty interesting breaking news earlier in the chat well it was exactly what you think internet jokesters the real deal is here right now and we may as well get to it scott um yeah. you know we, we, many of us thought and we had heard reported by you know your colleague paul friesen and uh, mike and marat that there'd be a meeting happening last weekend for barry trots yeah. heck i wanted to clear lake i was on a high alert if i needed to run up to dolphin <laughs> for any sort of video or fun making. It didn't happen. It sounds like it's happening this week. Uh, what's your take on the lay of the land right now with the Winnipeg Jets coaching search, Barry Trotz's situation, and a number of the other jobs that you would have thought Trotz would have been a candidate for already being filled? Yeah, well, first of all, that weekend meeting was solid. I know that I've seen a lot of chatter. Well, why did Mike report that or Gosh, Paul push or back. Marauder or whatever? It did, right? I mean, that's, that's just the truth of it. That, that, you know, Barry is taking this slowly uh some would say methodically um yeah you know so that's just the way it is right now i mean there was a report last week that barry is going to have to like june july 1st uh, that's kind of his own deadline to to make a decision and and so you know the lay of the land here is the jets are all in on this we know that it's very obvious um the second meeting is the i, I believe the only other team there there hasn't been another team so far with the second meeting with, with barry trotz um, and, and, you know, the offer uh, needs to probably be a little bit better from the Jets. But I, I think that there's a little bit of, I, I don't know necessarily there's a lot of hesitation on both sides. I think the, the hesitation on Barry's side is does he want to do this again, right? Does he want to do the grind of another NHL season? Um, you know, we look at 60 years old and we don't think that it's very old. But, you know, Barry's been doing this for a long time the grind is long. I mean, you can play up to 100 games, uh, you know, a season. Uh, if you go far in the playoffs, add in your preseason games, all the travel, all that stuff. Um, you know, so I think part of the apprehension, perhaps on, on Barry's side, just from people I've spoken with, is just does he want to do the grind or does he want to take a year off? Um, let's not forget, he will get paid $4 million from the New York Islanders, whatever way he goes. So, um, you know, that that's part of the process. I mean, here's a guy who gets an opportunity to take a break that he might not have, well, he wouldn't have had if he didn't get fired. Um, so that's on the table. I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure if there's apprehension on the, on the jet side. Uh, you know, I, we've heard about roster control and all that. Uh, I was speaking with an assistant coach today in the NHL, just asking about context about um, when it comes to roster control and what, what that really means. Right. I mean, do coaches have that? Do some coaches have more of it than others? And, you know, what I was told was, and at least when Paul Maurice uh, was here uh, in the NHL or in, in, in Winnipeg, Ross, it was a collaborative effort, right? 
the one thing that was said to me was that that NHL head coaches are, are oftentimes the best scouts, right? These are the guys that know what fits in their roster because they're so in tune with what they have. Um, so uh, it, it's, it, you know, they're always talking. The communication is constant between coach and GM. You know, we, we heard during the Palm Reese era and, and especially later on that potentially there was some friction between, you know, Kevin Cheveldayoff and Paul Maurice when it came to some of the younger guys. Uh, I believe that was true. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of friction there between, you know, why were certain guys not playing? Has that really come up in the interview process with Barry Trotz? I'm, I'm unsure of that. I mean, you know, I, I think we know what Barry Trotz is about. He wants guys to play a certain system. He wants guys to play that system hard. It's methodical. You know, it, it, that's the way that Barry Trotz plays. And so he needs guys that fit that system. You know, is that going to include a complete roster overhaul? I'm not entirely certain of that. Um, But I do think that Barry Trotz would want to make some changes to the roster, just like any coach would, right? Uh, You're not coming in here as a Stanley Cup winning head coach and being treated like a rookie head coach. You know, Barry Trotz is going to have ideas. And, and, you know, so I I think for Barry, uh, you know, at least just speaking from Barry's side, from what I've, you know, heard, I think a lot of it's just him trying to figure out, because I, I don't think that there's any issue with the management thing. I think his best his best way, other than maybe potentially Nashville coming in and doing something, his best way to a managerial role is in Winnipeg. I think there's room for that. I've heard, you know, we've all heard a lot of things, but, you know, there's potential one day that, that Kevin Cheveldayoff could just move into the president of hockey ops and maybe Barry could be the GM, um, sort of like how it happened in, in Vegas when Kelly McCrimmon came in. Um, and pushed, and I forget the guy's name right now, but uh, it, it is... George McPhee. George McPhee, that's it. I was thinking Pat McPhee for a second, and it's not. Um, so, yeah, and, and just something like that. But again, this is all just a lot of talk. There's been so much speculation around this. One thing about the Jets, notoriously tight-lipped, the hatches have been battened down at this time. Nobody's talking in the organization, uh, you know, obviously. Uh, but to me, and, and this has always been the case of Jets, when that happens, that, that's when the going is getting very serious. And, uh, you know, I think the Jets are, are you know, relishing this chance to talk to Barry again and put their best foot forward. And, and you know, that's all they can do. And, and you know, I, people are going to say, well, potentially there's this, this uh, you know, well, maybe the Jets just aren't making the best offer. I think this really all this rests on Barry Trotz. Does Barry Trotz want to coach or not? And I honestly think it's Winnipeg or bust at this point. We, we, you know, common sense might even say that as well, just because all the teams that have gone by. But Barry's turned down at least Philadelphia, and if not others, just you know, not even interviewing with you know the likes of potentially Dallas or Detroit or whatever. There's opportunity for Barry Trotz, and he could have been in a lot of different places. Um, but it's come down to what appears to be, and what I've been told is Winnipeg or bust. And so you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Um, and you know, maybe it might not even be about the offer that the Jets give. It's just what Barry wants to do. Um, and so, you know, I think the Jets play a huge role though, however, in enticing Barry Trotz to come and coach what is essentially his hometown team. Um, because there's a lot that comes with that. And it's more, you know, obviously there's all these offers, little brown jobs. Free beer, you guys free beer. Free we beer, we right? know that's what's coming We've with seen it. all these things, right? <laughs> but, you know, it, this is a very personal decision for Barry Trotz that has a lot of, ramifications for his future uh, and he's been asked to do it in a you know let's say relatively short timeline in the grand scheme of things 
Um, but he's doing it. He's be doing this by the beat of his own drum, and that's just the way it, it's going to be. And people need to kind of just be um, content with that, I suppose. Even though it's, it's difficult to be, because you have one of the premier coaches, one of the best coaches of all time. If you look at you know the record books in terms of wins and where he stands in that list and all that stuff. Um, so obviously, there is definitely anticipation from fans and a lot of people in this province. Um, yeah. Make no mistake about that, but. Again, I think this rests a lot on Barry Trotz. Well, no, for sure it does. And, yeah. and, and I'll say this. And it was interesting to see, you know, the reports from the Sun and the Freep and the Athletic. I mean, all sort of getting a heads up that that meeting was planned for this mm -hmm. weekend and they were circling back. And listen, I understand why that would get out there because I think that, well, first of all, with other jobs being filled, there was a question of like, what's happening with Winnipeg? And Listen, to their credit, it, it they've been criticized at times for being too patient or too loyal on, on, on things. I think in this case, it's the reason why they are where they are right now because Barry Trotz, I think, was pretty clear right out of the get-go that this wasn't going to be a snap decision and just immediately jump into something else. He was going to you know, evaluate the landscape of the job market, what was out there for him, each situation, what it meant for him, absolutely what it meant for his family and i mean we as hockey fans don't yeah. talk enough about that but i mean certainly he's got you know a, a son with down syndrome i'm sure support for him is a very very important decision yep. in, uh, in in what he makes and you know you got to make sure first and foremost that you're taking care of yourself and your family first um and that makes a, a whole lot of sense the fact that the Jets have been able to be so patient and the fact that this is happening right now has done one thing, and I'll say this as someone that right from the get-go, even before Barry Trotz was fired, and always saying, that's the dream, the dream guy to come back here for so many more reasons and we don't need to rehash all of that. But the fact of the matter is that the Winnipeg Jets, I think, have done everything that they can. Elliot Friedman has reported that money will not be an issue Yep. So it's about can they put a situation that gets one of the winningest coaches in NHL history back here to Winnipeg to take over uh, the club. And, you know, listen, if it doesn't happen, I don't think fans will have much to complain about other than maybe they didn't read the tea leaves early enough that it wasn't happening and went in another direction. Sure. But uh, listen, you want the best guy for the job. They're doing everything they can to get that. And, you know, hopefully we'll have some clarity on this maybe later on this week as to how things yeah. went or early next week. And as I said, Pierre Lebrun reporting that the July 1st was sort of the date that he thinks Barry Trotz will make that decision in and around, which would be the end of next week. Uh, listen, I think the Jets can live with that as well. I mean, I think they would have talked about enough things as far as, um, you know, how they would be working together. And I listen, this second meeting could be like, I would imagine a lot of the things that Barry Trotz needed to know, he already knows. It's about getting together and, okay, if we're doing this, how are we moving forward? And then it gets to the roster and personnel and those sort of the influence in decisions. And the one thing that you don't want, Scott, is to have a guy coming in as the head coach that does things one way and has a particular mindset and, you know, theory, I guess, on putting a team together and a disconnect with the guy that's making the decisions and bringing the yep. players in. And I would have a feeling that that's a big, big part of it as well. Let me ask you this. If Barry Trotz is the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, do you think that affects significantly the amount of player movement this summer? Or is that something that it's more a wait and see once you get to the season with the players and personnel that the Winnipeg Jets have right now? 
I would imagine that during the interview process, and maybe this happens in the second one, that Barry would lay out kind of how he would do things, and there would be either a ballpark kind of idea, a broad scope, or Barry might have a good idea uh, on what he would want to do. Does he want to trade Mark Shifley? Can he can he rehabilitate Mark Shifley? Would Mark Shifley play under him? You know the way that he wants to. I I don't think Barry is oblivious to this roster, and he's just going to come in and then sort it out. I think he knows very well what this roster has and what he can do. I think there would be safely. I don't know what significant changes. Um, I think, but but you know, if Mark Shifley's moved, that is a significant change that constitutes significant changes in this roster. Um, so yes, like I, I think that's a big deal for Barry Trotz especially if you're managerial minded, right? I mean, you know, that's where I could see some butting of the heads. But again, you know, I, I believe that that is always a collaborative effort within teams. You know, it, it's not, Barry Trotz isn't, uh, let's say, you know, Kirk Muller or one of these other guys who's kind of new to head coaching, right? Where you, you would maybe defer to the GM or you might whatever. Barry Trotz knows how to put a stamp on a roster. Um, and, and he knows what he needs. And I think there would be then the conversation of, can the Winnipeg Jets get Barry what he needs? How long is it going to take to mold that roster into what Barry Trotz wants it to look like? Um, and that sort of thing. So, you know, is it going to take a couple of years? Is, is, are the Jets a contender next season if Barry can, uh, you know, if the Jets and Chev- Kevin Cheveldayoff and, and all that can figure out how to retool the roster on the fly and get it done? Um, you know, I think there's also a race against time here, too, because there is a still a window, I believe, for this Winnipeg Jets team to do something significant because they do have these, you know, they have a world-class goaltender. They have a world-class scorer on the team. They have two world-class centers, right? Like, I mean, there, there are. And then you have, you know, guys like Nikolai Ehlers, who is an elite, you know, in my opinion, you know, an analytical kind of forward that is coveted by a lot of teams. He does a lot of good things on the team. You know, maybe one area for Barry Trotz, though, is going to be what's going to happen on defense. Um, you know, you have all these players, they didn't mesh. But again, part of this whole thing with Barry Trotz is that his systems are very defensively minded. And and I wonder, too, and you know, nobody said this to me, it's just my own kind of thought is, what does that mean for the hockey? Because Barry Trotz is hockey. You watch the New York Islanders, they're exciting when they play in Nassau because it's exciting in Nassau when they did play there. Um, but it's not an exciting brand of hockey to watch necessarily. It's effective. It wins games. It can win Stanley Cups, as we've seen with Barry, uh, you know, in, in Washington there. It's not always the most effective or, uh, sorry, not effective, the most exciting brand of hockey. Um, but I don't, again, I don't think that plays any part in, in, in what Mark Chipman or Shevel Dayoff or anybody like that they would want to think. They want exactly. to win. And William puts butts in the seats. And, and this is the other thing with Barry, like, for the Jets, and I and I, I would I completely understand why they're all in on this because Barry Trotz kind of erases last season. You hire Barry Trotz, and this is not known by means just a PR move. I don't think that the Winnipeg Jets are doing this. This, this isn't a smokescreen for something or just a, hey, we did this. Look at us. We went for it. No, like, I mean, I think they're doing this because they want Barry Trotz. But there's so much on the line here for the Jets that they got to get it right. And I, I think that at the end of the day, is that if you have to give up a certain amount of whatever to Barry, you need to be able to uh, uh, be willing to do that because of everything that he brings to this franchise. And we could be talking Barry Trotz up, and he's a complete flop too. Nobody really talks about that either. Like it just may not work here. I mean, 
but we again we haven't really seen that in Barry Trotz's career. Where he goes, he wins. <laughs> he's happens. got a pretty long resume of winning right. everywhere he's gone. And listen, what he exactly. did in Nashville was unique because you're starting with an expansion yeah. team and you're slowly building up to where it was when he ended up leaving. Yeah. And then in Washington, a lot of people had thought that they'd blown their opportunity the previous years when they had yeah. these monster seasons and had fallen short in the playoffs. And then they finally get to it. I think the example, uh, the more recent example of what he did in New York is what entices and excites people the most in that he took a team that couldn't play a lick of defense yeah. and turned them into the best defensive team. Right, worst to first, the right? The first season he yeah. was on the bench. And that, of course, was after yeah. Tavares left. So you're talking about you know a very different club. I do wonder how some players on the Jets roster would fit into a Barry Trotz system and sure. what that might do to them. Um, but I think what you want to have, like it, we all saw what these players had to say. Well, not all of them, but most of them at the end of last <laughs> season. And it seemed like they wanted that accountability. They wanted yep. to be part of a team that, you know, would maybe sacrifice some of the personal for team game. That is what Barry yep. Trotz's game is all about. And, uh, you know, you're exactly right off the ice. I mean, the confidence I think that it would reinstill in a lot of fans that maybe have been on the fence after last season, the fact that the organization would be able to get a guy like that to come in and take over, well, I think immediately makes up a lot of the erosion that you were sort of referring to in the, in the last season. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Like what is this, what is one of the, like the, the, the downfalls of this team or perceptions of this team? It's that, they can't land the big free agents. They can't land, you know, the superstar players in, in trades. They're not on, uh, you know, they're on a lot of no or players, no trade lists or no movement, whatever it might be, all of that stuff, right? And then you go out and you add, like, I, I think I, I think that's why the Jets are have been told. But one of the reasons why the Jets are so into this is because it changes the perception of this franchise, right? And it's not because it's you got a big-name player but you've got one of the premier head coaches that had the lay of the land, right? Could have gone to Vegas, could have gone to Philly, probably could have gone to Detroit or maybe Boston or any of these teams, right? You know, it, it, you know I think if he would have shown interest, he obviously did in Philly. But again, he turned down Philadelphia too. That's a huge market, you know, when you go there. That's a massive market. You want to be the next Fred Shiro in Philadelphia. You want to be the guy that leads the Philadelphia Flyers to Stanley Cups, right? Um, so I, I think, again, it, it's a massive thing for this team to do. And I think, you know, a lot of people criticize this team for a lot of things. I've done a, quite a bit of criticizing myself. But I think what they're doing here is exactly what you'd want to see as a fan, that they're going after the biggest dog available, and they're all in on it. And if they end up not getting him, I don't think it's for lack of trying. I don't believe it's for lack of, uh, you know, financial uh, incentive for Barry Trotz or anything like that. Um, it would be a massive disappointment, I think, for everybody involved if it doesn't happen. Um, but, you know, to see the Jets do this is a bit of a, I don't want to say it's a shift in their mentality or whatever, um, but I think they are also learning from last season. It got bad, hmm. uh, you know, so bad that they couldn't control the narrative anymore um, because the players just wouldn't allow it. You know, the players are like, it doesn't matter. I will still always refer to Kyle Connor. He was given, he, it was put on a tee by Mike Mack. This is a nod knock against Mike McIntyre. Uh, Mike Ma asked the question in a certain way because it was told to us that Kyle Connor was going to 
um, uh, walk back some of his comments. What did Kyle Connor do? He ran straight back into the Double fire. Down. And exactly, down. exactly. He doused the fire again with gasoline. And so, but that is an embarrassment for this franchise. You know, like that the last season was embarrassing for this franchise. And I think they've learned from that. And that's why they're going after Barry Trotz. And we've heard about Jim Montgomery and all these other coaches, but they're not Barry Trotz. And I think this team knows that they have a bit of an inside edge on him. I think we already seen that it's already come down to that. Um, and, and where it is, you know, in my opinion, Winnipeg or bust and what I've heard, Winnipeg or bust. So I think the Jets have done exactly what they needed to do to get into this position. Now the biggest thing is, and always the biggest thing is, is sealing the deal, getting his pen, uh, you know, bury a pen in his hand and signing a contract with this team um, and then going from there. And that's the that's what this week or whenever it's going to be based on all these different reports and everything we're here and whatever, that's what it's going to really come down to. Can they incentivize Barry Trotz enough to put pen to paper? And make him believe that this is the situation, yep. that he can succeed, and exactly. the, it makes sense for him, for his family going forward. And there's a lot to that, and it does take a while, more so here in Winnipeg than probably in a lot of other spots. I'll yeah. say this. There's no guarantees that this happens. Um, far right. from it. But if it doesn't, and I don't really want to spend too much time talking about this because I think everyone knows I'm quite invested in this and would love <laughs> to see this happen because I think yeah. it would be great for the team. I think it would be great for the city. I think it would be great for the fan base. But if it doesn't, the one thing I'll give True North credit for um, from what we know is that they have done everything they can to yeah. make this happen. And as I said, there's no guarantees if they don't, if they are not able to make it happen. What would have been unforgivable is just saying, you know what, Barry's going to cost too much. We're going in a different direction sure. or something like that. And they have not done that at all. We hope it'll end the way most Jet fans want it, and apparently the organization does. But if not, I think they've got a good leg to stand on moving forward. And you know, they've obviously done some due diligence on some other quality candidates that would be, you know, absolutely worthy of taking the job, but just don't have a Stanley Cup ring in uh, the spot in the NHL all-time wins list that Barry Trotz yep. does. So we'll find out more about this going forward. Just very quickly on this. If it yep. doesn't work out with Trotz, who would you put a nickel on as being the guy? Is it Jim Montgomery? Is he a clear number two from what you're hearing? Or is there a number of players? It would essentially be going back to the start of a smaller group and, and whittling it down from there in a much yeah. quicker time period than they've done with the uh, option A. Yeah, I think Jim Montgomery is up there, of course. I and mean, we've heard that. I've heard that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's something. I mean, I think they, they think highly of Jim Montgomery. He's been through a lot. Um, you know, it's, yeah, I, I don't know how that whole story unfolds, um, with him in Dallas. Does he still need to answer for that a little bit more? Um, you know, that, I guess that gets decided if the Jets do hire him and that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he was molding a, a Dallas team into a good team. Uh, and I think that's part of what I think they like about Jim Montgomery is he brings, you know, maybe some fresh ideas, um, um, to, to behind the bench. Um, and that sort of thing. So there's that. I, I think they've they've kicked tires on other guys too. Uh, Kirk Muller is one of them. Uh, you know, Derek Lalonde's still in the playoffs. I'm not sure how much that's been 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 done yet. Uh, with I have him. a feel. I so, think that. I mean, from all accounts, and we were talking to Pooley yesterday about this. Yeah. The fact that the Detroit situation has been so quiet, yeah. and Steve Eiserman has the obvious ties <laughs> to t Tampa. I mean. Yeah. I, if I was a betting man, I am a betting man. And if I had the opportunity to put a nickel down that one of the most likely Lalonde, but one of the assistants from Tampa is the next guy in Tampa yep. in Detroit. 
I would certainly I would certainly do that going forward, which sort right. of leaves us the situation that we're in right now with Trots and the Winnipeg Jets. Speaking of Tampa, yeah. um, I liken that that was that was like watching the Undertaker gif live last night <laughs> out of the coffin. <laughs> yeah, because they woke up. <laughs> that's exactly you know? what they did, and then they looked like the defending Stanley two-time defending Stanley Cup champs that. Yeah, were completely absent. I mean, what did you make a Saturday shit kicking in Denver? And the fact that you know they got down one nothing after getting the benefit of a disallowed goal, and then completely flipped the script on the entire series so far after a lot yeah. of people had counted them out. I think they needed Saturday to happen to them, right? Because you even look at Game One. Was Game One? Yeah, they came back and you know that, but Colorado was pretty in control of Game One, yeah. in my opinion, and. You know, it always looked like Colorado was going to win that game, and then they go to overtime, and they, and they win it really early. And I just thought that was it, right? You know, you get to overtime when Tampa's kind of clawed their way back, and and <clears throat> excuse me, and and then you go, you know, you, you're just thinking, okay, this team, you know, Tampa didn't need a break there. Colorado did. Colorado came and took care of best last night, or uh, sorry, game two. Yeah, I mean that was the wake up call for Tampa. It's like, you know, and Steve Stamkos said it perfectly after the game. Didn't just say much. He said, we're going to find out what we're made of. And they came back. And this is a team, man, like you would forgive them for not doing any of this. They've won two straight Stanley Cups. They did it in horrible circumstances the first time around in that bubble and all that. It's the weirdest thing to play. Last year, they did it a little more normal. This year, though, you know, it's just like, why? you know, you see guys last night, again, getting down, blocking shots. All these things you don't need to prove to anybody anymore that you're a good team, a great team, one of the best teams of all time, potentially. But they're still going out there and trying to cement themselves. I I said this before. I think if they would win three Stanley Cups, they're up there with the five straight Montreal Canadiens. I think they're up there with the Islanders and the Edmonton Oilers because of what era they're doing this in with the, the salary cap and all that stuff. Just everything that's been thrown at these teams throughout the pandemic and all that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So what what I saw the other, you know uh, in game two, I was like, this is bad. But you look at last round; they didn't lose the first two games in the same way. But they've been down. They know this. They the, 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 this is the most playoff hardened team over the last few. Let's I would even say five or six seasons. They've been to the final. They lost there. They got bounced in the first round four straight one time. They know what it's like to lose. They know what it's like to be down in the series. Any scenario you can throw at the, other than maybe three, nothing down in the series, you can throw at the Tampa Bay lightning and they're, they're not going to just sit there and, 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 and worry too much about it. Right. Colorado came and they come in waves, but they survived that first period. A lot of people said before the game, if, if Tampa can just not give up two or three goals in the first they have a chance, and they did that. I mean, obviously, the offside call helped them there, but it was offside. So, I mean, that's the thing. You get a break, and then Sorelli's goal kind of goes in, kind of whatever, but it just sparked that team. You saw it as soon as the Sorelli goal goes oh, in. Oh, for sure. You almost saw the change, right? Like It, it was palpable, even though you, you can't see that sort of thing. You, But you did see it. You saw it on the ice. The forecheck right after that shift was hard. They were back in the offensive zone, and I think Tampa's back, right? And... and that's got to be scary for Colorado because Colorado, you know, I, I don't know. Nathan McKinnon was good last night after the game talking about, hey, we're just going to get back to it. We're not worried and all that. We'll see. We'll see. And and here's the other thing. Like Darcy Kemper looked again. Darcy Kemper's not 
uh, I, I, looking at Denver Post today, and they're saying, well, he's already not a championship-winning goaltender. I disagree with that. I think that's way too premature. But Darcy Kemper needs to come back and have a solid game um, because they can't win with Pavel Frankus. I, I, I believe that. I mean, uh, I just don't think they can He was do better that. than Kemper is in, well, the, in the he, Oilers series. He was, but I don't think that they can beat a Tampa Bay Lightning team like that, right? I think that's a huge hit in the Stanley Cup final if you lose your starting goaltender. That's all. And and they're already without Kadri and, you know, Burkowski we're uncertain of, I believe, in terms of what his injury is is and that sort of thing. So it's it just, yeah, I, I think Tampa is back in this series. I don't know if they're going to rattle off four straight like they did last round um, and, and, and close out the series in six games. I predicted them winning in six games, but I don't think they're doing it that way. This one's probably going to seven if that's what happens. Um, but I think, you know, Tampa Bay found a way to beat Colorado. Uh, and I think that's what they needed to do. And, they, you know, they, it's like they sit there and lie in wait, take their licking in these first two games in the last couple of rounds, and then they figure out what needs to be done. This is the level we got to get to. This is the lanes we got to get into. And, you know, they need Andre Vasilevsky to be brilliant. And I thought he was much better last night. Well, compared I think to the been first pulled. couple wow. games, I mean, listen. should have been pulled, but yeah. yeah you know what? Know. I mean, it was interesting hear Messier talk about it in the intermission, saying mm-hmm. he thought it would give, be a bad sign. And listen, John Cooper knows his team a lot better than sure. we do. Uh, and you know what? They came back and got the dub, and uh, it's yep. series on. Hey, Scott, before we go, I yeah. did want to quickly touch on this with you and just get your thoughts on what we heard from Parliament Hill yesterday <laughs> and the questioning of Hockey Canada. Um <laughs> What a disaster. I mean, I, I joked before about how prepared Hockey Canada is at every level when it comes to an under-18 tournament, an sure. under-20 tournament. It did not look like they had that same level of preparation for uh, what happened yesterday. And, I mean, a, a lot more questions coming out of this and what, by all accounts, is a pretty horrible incident that, um, you know, resulted in a payout of over $3 million, albeit... They don't. They couldn't even confirm that they knew who the eight John Doe's were. I mean, I just you know, just we just got a minute left, but just your thoughts yeah. on what we heard yesterday and and what comes next. Yeah, I mean, it, it, an absolute disaster for Hockey Canada yesterday, right? You know, these MPs were well prepared. I heard that there was a few reporters feeding them questions during this too, which is good because you know this. I mean, whatever you say, what you want, Hockey Canada needs to be crucified right now. For what's going on this can't happen right you can't have potentially nhlers in the nhl right now you know that that have been a part of this or wherever they are right now because we don't know who it is um but to not have uh, mandated that these these players take part in the investigation to having a three week uh, whatever they, they they made the decision in three weeks to make the payout i mean it looks terrible right it, it all looks bad and somebody's got to pay. And I think more than one person's got to pay. And you really just, you got to get rid of whatever the cancer is here. Cut it all out. Cut every single one of it out and then and 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 deal with it that way. This game is being tarnished all of the time by all of these different stories. And at some point, somebody's got to take a stand and just get rid of it. Get rid of what needs to be get rid of. It, 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 you know, and, and it was a great comment in The Athletic by Katie Strang article. I think it was Ian Mendez and Rob, or Dan Robson also. But it's like, you know, why the heck are we still here? And, and when you hear about, you know, Joel Quenville still, like teams are looking into Joel Quenville, like this is the problem, right? Nobody seems to take these things seriously. It can all get swept under the rug. It can be bought off with money. It can be whatever it is. This needs to change. 
And, and I think that this now being in front of parliament, hopefully we're going to see some change. Hopefully the right people are going to be held accountable and literally, I mean, I mean, you know, figuratively, I suppose, burned at the stake. Um, but, you know, that's what needs to happen here because you got to get rid of the people that continuously allow these things to slide, to look past, to turn it the other way, whatever it is. And, you know, like, it, it, it's sickening. It makes you not, it, it, I, some people might disagree in the chat or whatever, but it just, it makes me, it, it makes you sick to kind of cover the sport sometimes knowing that this is in the background and this happens and how many other times this happened? We well, just haven't found sure. out. I mean, it's listen, we, so. we've heard stories, you know, horrible stories like this dating back many years. The fact that this is happening recently, you know, yeah. in, in this era of safe sport. Um, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it is stunning, and certainly this story is just really getting going. Billick, yeah. thanks so much for doing this, man. Great chat. Have a good yeah. one, and uh, enjoy the game tomorrow night. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. There's Scott Billick. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Scott Billick and check out all of his work in the Winnipeg Sun. All right, we are going to uh, get to a little bit of football talk coming up with uh, John Hodge. Mention live show Friday at Little Brown Jug. May actually fire up the lock shop with Dustin Nielsen, who's going to be in to call the uh, Cats bomber game on Friday night as well. Pay attention to our Twitter feeds for that. But yes, if you're able to bust out on Friday afternoon, come on down and join us down at Little Brown Jug. You can uh, check out all of your favorite beers, have a couple pints, and I'm sure we'll hang out and do a little bit of post-game hanging out with uh, anyone that pops by. And of course, then later on heading down to the bomber game, little Brown jug, William Avenue online, littlebrownjug.ca, and check out all their fine beers at fine restaurants, bars, and beer stores throughout the city of Winnipeg. Um, big golf news today. Brooks Kepka, Bye-bye. He's going to hook up with his BFF, Bryson DeChambeau on the live tour. Uh, but great news, Colin Morikawa is staying. He had an interesting tweet thread today. Colin Morikawa not going anywhere. Of course, every time we mention golf and talk it, Travelers Championship coming up. We hit that on the lock shop today, but we do it for Breezy Bend. If you're thinking about a great golfing home for you and your family in the future, talk to Corey Johnson about their waiting list for next year and everything that comes with being a part of Breezy Bend. You can find out more online at breezybend.ca. Um, big night last night at BP Polo Park for the Jays game. Tough loss for uh, Blue Jays, losing 8-7. Uh, but whether it's for the Blue Jays, whether it's for the Stanley Cup final, no better spot to get together with the gang for the game on the big screen with big sound at Boston Pizza. They've got their great summer menu back, Carnitas Pizza, as well as the pizza flights are back. You can pop into your local BP or check them out and order online at Boston Pizza. Dot com And hey, big cheers to Nick and Nikki. DQ's rolling right now. We've got uh, the good kind of blizzard weather right now. And as I mentioned, Remo and I both got into the Reese's Pieces cookie dough blizzard on the weekend. Probably can't have one every day, but I'd like one. I'd like to and uh, try it right now at your local Nick and Nicky DQ. They got four locations: the DQ Neverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Pop by, tell them the boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you. If you do need a DQ ice cream cake, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get it customized for you and ready to pick up quick and easy at any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs. All right, bombers. Back at practice, getting ready for the Ticats on Friday night. Let's get the lay of the land in the Canadian Football League with John Hodge of Three Down Nation. John, what's up? How are you? 
Living the dream, brother. Living the dream. Well, the Bombers are two at two and zero, oh, but uh, uh, kind of an interesting first couple games. I mean, you know, we've always heard Paul Maurice and whatnot. You don't critique a win, and uh, winning teams find ways to win, and the Bombers have done it in uh, both weeks. Um, I would say a little bit of a different way they did it on Friday. It was really the defense who, you know, has still given up quite a few yards, but this is the calling card of this club. They don't give up very many points. And man, the return of Jackson Jeffcoat, huge in that fourth quarter. What'd you make of the Bombers' second win of the season? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would agree that the defense was more stout in week two than week one, particularly the corners got a lot of attention in that week one victory at IG Field. Winston Rose, Taekwon Glass having some struggles. They looked better in week two. Obviously, the return of Jackson Jeffcoat, I thought that the pass rush looked better. The sack numbers aren't there, but I do think that Jeremiah Masoli faced a good amount of pressure in the first two weeks, without which his numbers would have just been even higher. Um, obviously, you can't argue with wins, right? Good teams will win at home. They go out and win close games on the road. But obviously, we've yet to see Winnipeg dominate like they did so often in 2021. And I think part of that is the fact that they've played the same team twice. We don't have any data to show us how good Ottawa really is compared to the rest of the league. And I think what we're going to see this week Ottawa's on by, they'll play week four. But I, I do think that at the end of the day, this is still an excellent team. Uh, I do think that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to be right there again at the top of the West Division standings when the season is done. But I do think it's fair to ask questions about what this club has done because despite, again, the 2-0 record, there's no denying. They have not been as polished offensively or defensively in 2022 as they were in 2021. Now, is it fair to expect this team to repeat everything they accomplished a year ago? Probably not. But we have yet to see that level of play, and I'm interested to see if we'll see it this week when they host the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Well, you know, you make a great point. And let's not forget that most of the key starters on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers didn't play in the preseason. So maybe you can give them a little bit of a mulligan in the first game. Bottom line was they got it done. And then certainly an improved defensive performance. But offensively, um, you know, I think the passing game, although funny enough, we're going to say, well, you know, they've had some changes. Well, it's Dalton Schoen and Greg Ellingson that are at the top of the receiving yards. And you're wondering, you know, can they get more to the current guys? But I want to ask you about the running game uh, because it was very pedestrian in week number one. They had more success overall in uh, in week two, albeit not as much from the go-to guy, Brady Oliveira, who, you know, had about a three and a half or 3.7 yard average. Johnny Augustine had almost as many yards on half the carries and continues to be a guy that, you know, puts up big, big numbers when he touches the ball. What do you make of the 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 uh, the carry distribution between the two? And do you think that we'll see that change getting closer to even or maybe flipping in favor of Augustine, who has been so productive whenever he's had the chance to touch the ball this year or last well, I want to see more Johnny Augustine. I'll say that straight up. I, I'm not suggesting that Johnny Augustine should get all the carries, but I think this is a situation where he has been the more productive runner through two weeks of the season. I think he's just as good as Brady Oliveira as a receiver out of the backfield. And to me, the difference comes down to the body types. Augustine is probably not big enough to take an entire season's worth of work and take the abuse that goes along with that. But to me, I want to see a 50-50 uh, situation rather than Johnny Augustine kind of supplementing carries from Brady Oliveira because 
Theo Oliveira does look different than he, he looked last year. He lost about 10 pounds in the offseason. He talked about that adding some stamina, uh, potentially adding uh, some durability for him to play a more extended season. The 18-game regular season in the CFL is more of a marathon than a sprint. Last season, we saw the opposite, especially with Winnipeg winning the West Division so quickly. They they only played, I think it was 10 or 11 games before the first uh, first place in the division was all locked up. So, with that said, I, I do want to see more Johnny Augustine, more of a 50-50 split, and maybe that changes as time goes on. If Brady Oliveira still can't get going with this new body of his down from 225 to about 215 pounds, maybe it should be a 70-30 split with Johnny Augustine getting the lion's share of the load. But obviously, the Bombers need Oliveira to be more productive because when he started last season, and he started about half the games while Andrew Harris was hurt, he looked better in 2021 than he has so far this year. John Hodge with us from Three Down Nation. Um, what do you make of the Tie Cats going into uh, Friday's game? I mean, oh, and two, it's sort of funny. We talked about the improved East and how there was all the parody. Well, the parody's there. There's only one team that has a damn win, and that's the Argos, who didn't even deserve it after that choked up by Montreal in that final field goal kick. But Hamilton, their offensive line was absolutely torched by the Riders in week number one. And then blow a 21-point halftime lead to lose at home to the Calgary Stampeders and questions about Dane Evans. I mean, how different is this team going to look than the last time we saw them playing against the Bombers for all the marbles in November? Yeah, you talk about a rough night for a Ticats fan. Your first time in the building since the 2021 Grey Cup when the Ticats blew a double-digit fourth-quarter lead, and you come back to celebrate the Hall of Fame, you know, induct Henry Burris and all that stuff, and your team blows a 21-point halftime lead that's miserable but i i do think that this team is a good team and i'll say this as well you highlighted the parody in the east division i think the worst team in the east division right now is the toronto argonauts i didn't much care for what i saw for them quite honestly in week one yet they're the only team with a win right and granted you know david cote of the montreal alouettes misses the 21 yard field goal to potentially win that one but uh, i think the tie cats are a good team i think the red blacks are a good team as well um, Hamilton made a bunch of changes along the offensive line, going to three Americans in week two. That offensive line, I thought, held up very well against the Calgary Stampeders. Dane Evans threw for over 400 yards. I think they need to get a little bit more balanced on the offensive side of the football. Don Jackson was out last week. Sean Thomas Erlington was productive when they gave him the football. They just didn't hand it off very much at all. Defensively, I, I think this is team... I think that front seven is as good as ever. You've got the former Blue Bomber, Javan Santos-Knox in the middle. Simone Lawrence is a perennial most outstanding defensive player nominee. And then along the defensive line, they added Micah Johnson, uh, moving the veteran Canadian Ted Laurent into a rotational role. So I do think that Winnipeg's uh, offensive line will have their hands full with Hamilton's defensive front. The Ticats were the number one team in the league uh, in yards per attempt allowed last season, allowing the least yardage of any team in the league. And I think that trend is going to continue. It's not going to get easier for Winnipeg to run the ball this week. And so the Bombers O-line is certainly facing a tough test in Hamilton's front seven. I really think that they have a lot to prove at home this week after, after starting up with, uh, again, two lackluster performances mm -hmm. on the ground. You mentioned there's a ton of runway, and I think it's almost a fool's game to put too much into the first few weeks of the CFL season. But we're willing to play it here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, the Riders are 2-0. and I mean, they were down with five minutes left against an Elks team that most people believe is the worst in the league. And now they go on a short week 
to Montreal, who I think will be very, very hungry considering the way they lost that game last Thursday. Um, thoughts on the Riders through two games and this challenge going into Montreal as about a field goal favorite uh, to kick things off on Thursday night. Well, I think the Riders are the real deal. I think their defensive front seven has been the best in the CFL thus far. The secondary is holding up well. They didn't have Duke Williams in that game against the Elks, and frankly, it didn't look like they missed them. Shaq Evans is having a bounce-back year thus far. Jamal Morrow had a breakout game, 140 yards along the ground. They're not missing William Powell. And I think Cody Fajardo has settled in nicely. To me, Saskatchewan, you could easily argue, has been the most impressive team in the CFL. They beat Hamilton by 17 points in Week 1 at home. And yes, it wasn't their best performance against Edmonton, but they did win by 10 points on the road. Tough to argue with that in professional football, regardless of who your opponent is. As for the Alouettes, I, I'm curious to see who starts at quarterback. Looks like it's going to be Trevor Harris, so that is not confirmed. Vernon Adams Jr. did not practice yesterday, and Kahari Jones told the local media in Hamilton today, or pardon me, in Montreal today, that Adams has actually contracted COVID-19, so he's likely to miss the game uh, this upcoming week. It's also a short game for a short week for the riders, which if you're a better, historically speaking, if you play on a Saturday and then you have to play the following Thursday, we're talking just four days off between games. Historically, those teams have done terribly against the spread. So I do like the riders straight up in this game, but if you can get points from the Alouettes, first of all, they're at home and they're bringing in a team on a short week. So for that reason, from the line perspective, I might be tempted to take the Alouettes if you can get some points with it. Yeah, well, and it's funny, uh, you know, two and a half last night was the number. It's now three and maybe trending towards three and a half. So I would say if you're waiting to put a sprinkle on that game and you do like Montreal plus the points, give it another day or so and you might get it actually an even better line. Um, what do you make of the Elks right now? Is this already a lost season? I mean, uh, can they turn this thing around? They're already behind the eight ball considering no one else in the West has lost a game and they're sitting at 0-2 heading into Calgary on the weekend. Yeah, what what an awful coming like like their schedule. Edmonton, they're they're at Calgary, then they're at Hamilton, and then they host Calgary. Like like this schedule, and I appreciate that Hamilton's 0-2, but I, I think they're a lot better than that record indicates. I think they should have obviously beat the Stampeders this past week. Edmonton, it's too early in the CFL season to write it off, but boy, they are just as bad as as their very worst critics predicted that they would be. Nick Arbuckle, I think, showed some positive steps in week two. He did show that he has developed some quick chemistry with Kenny Lawler. He had the incredible touchdown catch at Commonwealth Stadium against the Riders this past week. But defensively, that team looked awful again. Uh, the defensive line, in for, for me, is the worst in the CFL. The linebacking court is also the worst in the CFL. Part of that is due to injuries, but but today, like like the Elks cut Claudel Lewis, who started along the defensive line just this past week. After week one, they cut Anthony Garcia, who was their starting left tackle. Like like when you have created this pattern of of playing a game and then immediately releasing a starter, like that that kind of speaks, I think, you know, volumes about about where that team is. They are still in the early stages of a rebuild. They are rebuilding this thing on the fly, and I think it's going to be a while before we see them get their first win. I don't have them winning in Calgary this week. I don't have them winning week four in Hamilton. Maybe we'll see. Maybe in the friendly confines of Commonwealth, they'll get their first win week five against the Stamps. But unfortunately for Elks fans, this team has not won at home since their second last regular season game of the 2019 season. They didn't win there all of 2021. 
They started off with a 10-point loss at home. Things are bad with the Edmonton Oaks right now, and I fear they're going to get worse before they get better. I really do. <laughs> yeah, never mind win a game. Let's try covering a double-digit spread to start exactly. things off. Exactly. Um, a final game of the week is interesting. You kind of mentioned that you weren't too high on Toronto after their debut, and I think everyone very impressed with what British Columbia did against, albeit the Elks, in week number one uh, with their win. They're coming off the bye. Um, BC's four-point four favorites right now. I was stunned that that number was high as it was. But, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of recency bias, and Toronto did not finish well. Um, what do you make of this challenge for Nathan Rourke going into game number two of the season after the incredible way they kicked it off? Well, I'm really excited for this game because these are the teams we've seen the least, right? BC on the week two by Toronto on the week one by Nathan Rourke was simply sensational week one. I thought that they did a brilliant job of game planning for him offensively. He was not asked to be Michael Riley and stand back in that five or seven step drop and wait four seconds to throw the deepest ball he could to Brian Burnham. What he was asked to do is go out there, make quick decisions, run pass option, use your legs and he did that very effectively. Obviously, Toronto's had plenty of opportunity to sit back and watch that film, and so it is going to be tougher for him to repeat that uh, particular performance. In Toronto, I do think, outside of Andrew Harris, who was the best player for them this past week, I do think that Toronto's defensive line was the other highlight. Sean Oakman, Shane Ray, the former highly touted uh, NFLers there, uh, I do think had a, a, a very impressive performance against the Montreal Alouettes, even if they did not move the ball particularly effectively through the air. To me, I like BC to win this game. I really do. But four and a half points does seem like a lot. I want to see more out of the BC Lions before we kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. This team was miserable in 2021. They had an incredible performance week one in front of an absolutely sensational crowd, 34,000 at BC Place, which if you told me a month ago we were going to see 34,000 people week one in BC, I would have called you crazy. <laughs> like, unbelievable to see that crowd there. The biggest crowd of the CFL so far this season in Vancouver. Who would have thought? Uh, so to me, I like BC straight up, but at four and a half points, personally, I'd be taking the Toronto Argonauts. You just have to keep your fingers crossed that Andrew Harris will play after leaving that game last week late with what appeared to be an issue with his hamstring. Yeah, great point. John Hodge of Three Down Nations with us. Uh, hey, speaking of three down, uh, you guys got a great piece on the site talking about the new class of the CFL Hall of Fame. And uh, listen, some incredible players are Ricky Ray, Chip Cox. Paul McCallum, Tin Tinsdale, Dick Thornton. But I know Bomber fans are going to be fired about our old pal, the colorful Dave Ritchie, getting a call to the hall. Absolutely. I I was obviously much too young to cover the team in any capacity with Dave Ritchie was the head coach. Uh, but, I mean, Dave Ritchie's legacy lives on. Uh, I love listening to Doug Brown stories about <laughs> Dave Ritchie, the best. you know, and, and, and some of the quotes like Ed Tate or, or Bob Irving, you know, they, those guys will still talk about what it was like to, to, to talk to Dave Ritchie on a daily basis. And, and funnily enough, a couple weekends ago, uh, I celebrated me and my extended family celebrated my grandmother's 90th birthday. And back in the day when Winnipeg had the women's camps, she would always go and she adored Dave Ritchie. They're, they're, they're not far apart in age. And, and he had the golf cart. She would sit on the golf cart with him and they would talk about <laughs> life and football. And she has extremely fond memories of Dave Ritchie 
as well. So certainly somebody who's who's a larger than life character, certainly a one of a kind person, right? You you could cover football for a hundred years and not meet another person like Dave Ritchie and uh, like I'm sure many fans around the CFL, people who cover this league, whether it, they covered him in BC or Montreal or Winnipeg, definitely happy to see Dave Ritchie finally get his call to the hall. Arguably somebody who should have gone in sooner, but I'm glad they got it done this year. And I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing him uh, and at the very least hearing what he has to say when he is inducted in September. Oh, listen, I'm with you. I'm just looking forward to hearing Ed and Bob and the rest of these guys <laughs> wax again and again about their incredible stories of Dave, uh, of Dave, um, his assault on the English language at times. <laughs> I mean, all the things that made him one of the most colorful characters. The other builders are uh, Keith Evans and longtime CFL executive Roy Shivers and should give a big uh, tip of the cap to the two media members going in. Glenn Suter, who, of course, is still doing a great job calling the games with the gang over on TSN. And um, Ed Willis, who spent so much time here in Winnipeg and, of course, uh, wrote a great book on the uh, American expansion of the Canadian Football League. John, we'll get games uh, in on Thursday and then, of course, back here in the peg on Friday night. Fill everyone in on uh, what you, J.D., and the gang have going on at Three Down Nation heading into week three. We've got all the betting information you could need. We got lines, we got picks, we got sign up deals, promos, all that good stuff. We're going to be announcing our picks straight up and against the spread on Thursday morning. And uh, JD just dropped the CFL TSN TV ratings uh, on Tuesday. Last week's ratings were not very good coming out of week one, but week two's ratings were very solid. I think the riders being on the road probably helped that number a little bit, but we got all the content you could look for if you're a CFL fan over at three down nation, encourage you to check it out. Keep it up. Thanks so much for the time as always, John. And uh, you know, we're uh, going to three down first and foremost every day for the latest on the Canadian football league. Keep up the great work as well. Thanks. Hustler. Appreciate it. Good stuff uh, at John D Hodge on Twitter. That's John Hodge from three down nation. All right. We got to get Remus back in here because we do have a few things to get to before the end of the uh, game, uh, of course, did mention that uh, our friends at Princess Auto ready to welcome all of you to the pregame tailgate party Friday at IG Field. We may have our own little party after the game or after the show, should I shall I say, over at Little Brown Jug. We'll definitely make a point of getting there early. DJ Finesse will be spinning great food, beer deals pregame as well. And, of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsor of the Barringo. There you see it. 350 hot dogs, $5 beers, 350 fountain drinks, great deals for you. So uh, if you're not planning on setting up shop in the parking lot, pop up by, get together with your bomber friends, and uh, of course, wear white for the whiteout game coming up on Friday night. You can pop by and see Princess Auto, one of two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road and Portage Avenue West, and you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Hey, speaking of the bomber game, You'll also be able to maybe enjoy a little Canadian club and, of course, the great drink of the summer, the Canadian Club and Ginger Ale. Of course, Canadian Club's the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, available throughout the stadium, along with Brugal Rum, Northern Keep Vodka, and, of course, Jim Beam. Uh, but if you're hitting one of the Canada Inn's beer stores over the next little while, keep an eye out for the CC and Ginger because with any six-pack purchased at the Canadian uh, the Canada Inn's bottle shop, you get a free Bombers Slim Can Koozie 
to fit your CC and Ginger, and you'll be entered to win an autographed jersey. They're giving away one jersey at each and every Canadian's bottle shop. Big thanks to Canadian Club for their support of WST. All right, Reem, let's get to it. Uh, shout out to everyone that entered last night. Nobody followed me, Reem, in race number six. And I got back in the win column with horse number three. We're going to look to try to keep this momentum going tonight, but we do have two more days, today and tomorrow, for your chance to win with us. Come on out for that world-famous Prime Rib Buffet. Bring a guest, hang out, enjoy the races with your friends at Winnipeg Sports Talk. So get your pens ready. We're going to give you the email to send in. We're going to give you the the Ray horses in race number six. Um, and again, even if you haven't played in the first four days, don't worry about it. We've oh, we have nobody that's won twice. Uh, we've got a number of people that had entered, and we'll pick the top pickers. But we're also going to be picking some random entrants from the chat, as well as you know people that enter in. So as long as you get your name in for one of these dates, you'll be eligible to win for us as well. So uh, let's get to the picks, Reem. And then we'll focus in on race number six and let everyone know what they're picking from when they send Sherry over at Assiniboia Downs, their uh, their spot. Again, live racing tonight, 7.30, and again tomorrow night, 7.30, over at Assiniboia Downs. Uh, I got a dub. Did you get goosed yesterday? Yes, I was hot last week, and I had winners on my two of three days. I may not have been up money, but uh, I thought I did pretty well. But last night, yeah, I was watching and didn't go so great for me. So I'm back to the drawing board here tonight. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see if I can pick another winner. Well, hopefully my winner will be in race six. You might want to follow me. Uh, and no one did yesterday and nobody else won. Uh, but race number three, we're going to start it off. I'm going with the little triactor action. Uh, $1 triactor box, plum lucky, number two. Number four, the favorite, Tis Funny. And number six, Wits Coco. So we've got those three. That's a $6 bet. Uh, and for race number four, we're going to go with a $4 Quinella, number one and five, Sizzle and Susie, and Divine Ride. And then we get to race number six. I'm going to do a winner, and I'm going to do a triactor box. Remo, what are your picks outside of race six before we get to the big one for everyone? All right, I'm checking my... Collections, keeping it simple here today. Uh, I'm going race five. I have a Quinella. Let me pull it up here. I'll put my own video on the screen. Um, what is it? One five. Shecky Boo and wire me the money. And hopefully I get wired uh, the money here <laughs> after this one. And race Seven, I'm just, and that was a $10 Quinella. Race seven, I'm going a $5 on horse 10 to win. Warriors map. I like this big field. And then we go to the big one, race six. Here it is. Here's race six, folks. Eight horses in. Now, what you're going to want to do is pick your winning horse, whoever you think is going to win, and email it along with your name and your number to Sherry over at Assiniboia Downs. It's Sherry G, S-H-E-R-I-G, at asdowns.com. 
Again, completely free to enter. We'll be picking some random entries as well as rewarding the people that have had the most successful picks. There's a big log jam of people that have picked one correctly so far. No one's got two yet. So everyone is in on it. So we'll make a point of doing that right now. Um, number one is Indian Cross. Number two is Dazzlin' Mischief. Number three is Marky Well. Four, Hoochie Coochie Sam. Five, Hazim. Six, Strider's Ring. Seven, Yola. And eight is Camino de Estrella. I'm going with number two, Dazzlin' Mischief. And then I'm also putting that on with number three and number eight for my uh, my triactor box for the end. Remo, what's your pick for race six? My pick is not quite YOLO, but YOLA. So <laughs> that's my pick. No, horse seven. Maybe that's the chalk. That's actually the favorite. So it's probably not going to win. But uh, YOLO only no, lives. Three is the favorite. Three is the favorite. Mark oh. E. Well, or at least coming in at nine to five. So uh, again, gang, whatever horse you want, just put in the number. Uh, send it to Sherry at Sherry G. At and it's one uh, one R so S H E R I G at asdowns.com. Uh, we'll let you know how everyone does tomorrow. You'll have one more chance to win. Uh, tomorrow, of course, big thanks to our friends at Assiniboia Downs. And just very quickly before we end the program, because we've got something coming up at the top of the hour, we got to get out for a quick cool bet lines review. We just talked about many of the lines for the Canadian Football League with John Hodge. Straight up pick them tomorrow between the Lightning and the Avs, minus 109 on each side, and the updated number for the Lightning and Avalanche on the series, Lightning plus 215, the Avalanche minus 263. And as we mentioned, the Bombers opening as five-point favorites against the Ticats for the game on Friday. Folks, if you're at the Rady Dinner tonight with Emmett Smith, then you see Remus or myself, be sure to pop by and say hi. Might not recognize me dressed up outside of a hoodie, but uh, hey, we got to do what we got to do. Shout out to the gang at F Apparel. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow on the program. We're really looking forward to having bomber receiver Greg Ellingson join us, as well as Marat, Ken, as we get ready for the uh, the rest of the cup final. We'll uh, tee up game four as well, and of course have the latest on Trots Watch. Thanks again to Scotty Billick for joining us today. Uh, big thanks to Chris Knuckles Nylon and, of course, John Hodge from Three Down Nation. Have a great night. We will see you tomorrow, 1 o'clock, right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com. 